0: Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our review of John Matter's direct examination of Blanca Simpson a longtime friend of Maggie Murdoch who also worked for the Murdoch family. We also began our presentation of Dick Harpulian's cross-examination of Ms. Simpson. In this installment, we conclude our review of Ms. Simpson's testimony. That's all coming up right after the break. It is the late morning of February 10th, 2023, day 13 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, prosecutor John Matters posed a series of objections to defense attorney Dick Harpootlian's cross-examination of Blanca Simpson. Ultimately, Judge Clifton Newman decided to excuse the jury to address Matters' objection. As we begin this installment, the jury has left the courtroom and Judge Newman asks Dick Harpoodlian to restate the question to which the prosecution is objecting.
2: Okay, what is the question?
0: When you were
3: talking with him in the little house in August, as we were talking about a moment ago, and he was talking about the shirt, did he tell you that he had just been interviewed by Swed, who'd shown him the Snapchat photo, and he was... Uh, attempting to figure out what he was wearing that day. I mean, it's in a photo. Did he tell you that? Um, the, what's the specific question? Did he, in the con- in, in, when he asked you the question about the shirt, did he tell you he just come from being
0: interviewed by Sweat?
4: No, sir. He didn't tell me that.
2: Um, and what is the objection?
0: Prosecutor Metters rises to make his argument.
2: John, is Steckler's hearsay. Statement is hearsay that if he wants to do that, he can take the stand and do it. But he's trying to offer the defendant's statement without him taking the stand. It's offered for the truth of the matter asserted. That's my objection. All right, and your response?
3: Uh, my response is if you can't ask witnesses about what the defendant said to them, they're going to have a rough, rough, rough road to hoe going forward because it's a statement by the party, party opponent, if you will. I think they argued earlier on when we objected to one. It's not hearsay. There's an exception to hearsay by a statement by one of the party. It's Alex.
2: By the party opponent, being a statement by the party opponent, uh, the defendant.
3: Mr. Murdaugh's statement to this woman.
2: This matters. I've been doing this 35 years. He's on trial. Uh, We Uh, know that. But I'm just saying it's it's not a party opponent. He's trying to get in a statement from the defendant, uh, statements against interests, that the state, there is a difference between the state asking what the defendant said and the defense. And if they hadn't objected, to some they thought that's their prerogative. But they're trying to offer the defendant's statement in evidence without him taking the stand. And and it, I, I respectfully think that's objectable. as hearsay. He's the defendant on trial. They're offering for the uh, self-serving hearsay. Uh, they're offering for the truth of the matter who's asserted. And I respectfully think that he's got to stand, take the stand, and get that information yeah. in. And your honor, maybe
3: I make it. this yeah.
2: Did he tell you about talking to Swed that day? No, sir, he did not. Okay. Geronimo, 801-D2 allows us to ask the question and not the defense. I don't stand with yourselves earlier if she didn't say He didn't say anything to her about Sweat. Your Honor, he could get his whole case through witnesses and he wouldn't have to take the stand. I, and, Absolutely. And that's you not appropriate. A Fifth Amendment right, no, to
0: sir. not
3: take the stand.
0: Judge Newman interrupts the bickering attorneys and declares that the court will take a brief recess and that he will rule on the objection after the break. When the jury returns, Judge Newman announces that he is sustaining the prosecution's objection on the basis that the utterances of Alex Murdoch to Blanca Simpson would be inadmissible hearsay evidence. Defense attorney Dick Harpudlian then resumes his cross-examination of Ms. Simpson.
3: So um this conversation occurred I think did you say prior to them going on a golf tournament? Going to a golf tournament?
4: Yes, sir. He said Randy had just dropped him off so that he could get his clothes because they were him and Buster and Randy were going golfing.
3: Him and Buster and who? Randy. Randy, yeah. Okay. We're going to a golf tournament that weekend.
4: I don't know if it was a golf tournament or what, but I know he said they were going away, they were going golfing.
3: Okay. Um, And speaking of Buster, can you point Buster out in the uh, audience for me, please? Is that Buster? Yes, sir. You all already had a great relationship, right?
4: Yes, sir.
3: Okay. He's a good
4: kid. I'm sorry? He's a good kid.
3: He's a good kid. Okay, so um, one of the other questions I have is, did did you ever see Paul with any guns? Yes,
4: sir. No? Yes, sir.
3: I'm sorry. And did he have guns around all the time?
4: Yes, he did.
3: Matter of fact, they're all guns all over that place, right?
4: In the vehicles, on the go-karts, sometimes in the hangar.
3: So um, did uh, Paul ever leave guns? Just, for instance, down at the uh, uh, the hangar, would he ever leave ha- guns down there?
4: I have found one occasionally out there.
3: A pistol or rifle?
4: A rifle.
3: You know what kind it was? No, sir. Okay. Do you know if he ever left any down in the feed room?
4: Not in the feed room. I, I'm not sure you, about you, the feed okay,
3: room. You never saw anything in the no, feed room? Sir. I believe in one of your statements, I read that sometimes he'd leave him somewhere and those the, actually there'd be rust on the rifle or the shotgun or whatever.
4: If he left it on the on the golf cart outside, he would sometimes leave it laying across and I would get it in the morning and already the dew would, it would rust off.
3: And that would be a golf cart he would drive down to the kennels, for instance?
4: Yes, sir, whichever one he was in and he preferred the gas. The gas one is usually where I used to find gas. Go, uh, golf cart, yes. Okay.
3: And so that would be a way he would get down to the um, kennel sometimes?
4: Sometimes. The majority of the time he was either either in Dolly or in his own truck. In what? Dolly. What is Dolly? Um, the F-250.
3: I forgot. You all name all your trucks, or they named all their trucks, right? Yes, sir. Okay. So um, most of the time he would be in a truck, but sometimes he would take the uh, golf cart, if you will, down there.
4: Yes, sir.
3: And apparently sometimes he had guns in the golf cart. Yes. Okay. Um, Now, let me touch a couple of other things. Um, Did uh, that day you saw the sled folks in there, um, did you see them taking any pictures, or do you remember?
4: I believe some of them were taking pictures, but I'm I'm not positive.
3: Okay. You were shown a picture of a rain jacket?
4: Yes, sir, I was.
3: Okay. And... Had you ever seen that rain jacket at the house?
4: Not at Moselle, no, sir.
3: And what size clothes did um, did Alec wear? 2XL. 2XL, not just a large. Would anything a large fit him?
4: I don't think he, he might have had one or two items that were that size, but most of the clothing was 2XL.
0: 2XL. Dick Harpudlian next asks a member of his team to display a photo of an exhibit on the monitor for Ms. Simpson. The photo appears to be a large rain jacket.
3: you see that rain jacket on there?
4: Yes, sir.
0: That's, you've never seen that, according to your statement, never seen that?
4: I've sense. never seen that jacket. Okay.
3: And you knew pretty much everything, every piece of clothing that was there, right?
4: For the most part, yes. Yes.
3: Okay. And how many rain jackets did, uh, did uh, Alex have? You remember?
4: Too many to count.
3: <laughs> you need to count, okay. But none of them look like that? No, sir. Okay. How about blow that up for me, please? Can you make it any any better? Closer? Yeah, that's good, right there.
0: Another image appears on the courtroom monitors. Um, and that
3: shirt is, is that the one he was wearing that morning? When he no,
4: goes? sir, it was not. It's not? No, sir, that was not the shirt he was wearing.
3: And this is at 7, you understand, this is 7.40 p.m. Uh, that evening when he's out with Paul?
4: I wasn't there then.
0: Okay. But that's not the shirt he was wearing when he left that morning?
4: That is correct. No, it's not the shirt.
0: Dick Harpoodlian takes a moment to confer with his defense team before moving on to his next question.
3: Um, you were aware he had clothes at his office? Kept clothes in his office?
4: Yes, sir. Among other places.
3: Where else would he leave? Have car. Having a car? Yes, sir. Where else?
4: um in edison sorry in edison
3: in edisto okay but if he was in the mozo area if he was going to change his shirt from in the morning would he have changed it at the office or
1: got something out of his car i you don't know
4: i don't know okay
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Defense attorney Dick Harpoodlian next hands Blanca Simpson a document.
3: Now, let me uh, show you 107. Can you tell the jury what that is, please?
4: The text messages from me and Maggie. Okay, and this is
3: on, June 7th, 2021,
4: right? That is correct.
3: And the first one, she says, when you stop by, this is at 7.05 a.m., stop by the store and get Alex Caprice Sun. He likes orange and pineapple flavor plus mountain cooler. Thank you, I'll pay you back. You say, I will. He says, thank you, get two boxes." Now, after that conversation, uh, there's a text at 3:28 p.m blanco dinners on the stove just left she left there um at about 3 30 correct
4: yes i sent the text before um i actually walked out of the house i had a habit of sending her the text make sure everything and then locked up before i left okay. but at that time i went, i had gone upstairs to drop off some clothes um and um i noticed that Paul's truck or a white truck was sitting at the kennels. So I left the do- the front door unlocked at that time instead of locking. it. But me. you didn't
3: see Alec anywhere there? No, sir. Okay. You didn't see his vehicle?
4: No, sir. Okay.
3: And she says at 340, thank you, right? Yes, sir. Okay, then at 354, you said, you're welcome. I just made your deposit. Maggie then says, I guess this is a one James, thank you. I'm waiting at the doctor. Alex wants me to come home. I had to leave the door open at Edisto, but trust the Mexicans to shut and lock for me.
4: Yes, sir.
3: And then she says, Alex's dad back at the hospital. The, doc- the last doctor claims not cancer pneumonia. Alex is about to die. Hope he doesn't go down there to sleep.
4: What she meant, Maggie used to get frustrated. She said every time something happened at Almeida with his dad or his mom, that Alec would get called and nobody else, that they always called Alec to go to the house. And she did get upset over that, that the family was basically putting all that on Alec and he wasn't getting enough rest.
3: So when she said he's going to die, she's worried about his health?
4: She was worried about his health, yes.
3: Um, And she says Alec needs to take care of himself as well. And that's consistent with what you just said, correct? Yes. She's worried about his health? yes. Um, and you said, yes, he does. He told me he was tired when he left. I hope they can treat Mr. Randolph. Maggie says, I'm scared for him and Alex and all of us. What do you mean by that?
4: Alec hadn't had much sleep. They, that was her main concern was the fact that her main frustration was the fact that in the middle of the night or whenever, you know, if Mr. Randolph or Miss Libby, were uncomfortable, that they would always, she seemed to think that they always called Alec and there goes Alec, you know, to take care of it. And she felt that it wasn't fair that he was the only one having to take him.
3: And, and your response to that is, I know, just pray about it and hope he gets a little better. Is that what you said?
4: Yes, sir. Okay.
3: And, and you say, Alex and you really need to relax. Always being on the go with little uh, or no sleep is not healthy. Remember, I have a doctor's appointment in the morning in Buford. I get done early, I'll go to Moselle, I'll let you know, and she said, no worries, right? Yes. So she preferred to be in um, Edisto, correct?
4: That's correct.
3: Um, But she was going that day, based on your all your texts, she was going because Mr. Randolph had been put back in the hospital and she was worried about Alex, right? I mean, she was heading to Moselle, she preferred to be in Edisto, but she was heading to Moselle because... Mr. Randolph
0: had been put back in the hospital, and she was concerned about Alex. Prosecutor John Metters rises to object, presumably on the grounds that the question calls for the witness to speculate. Judge Clifton Newman sustains the objection, and Dick Harpudlian rephrases his question.
3: Um, She, she indicated to you that Paul was coming in your telephone conversations, correct?
4: That is correct.
3: Mm-hmm. And did she indicate in your telephone conversations uh, that she needed dinner for her, Paul, And Alec, right? Yes, she did. And did she indicate in any way um, that she did not want to go to Moselle to have dinner with Alec Paul um, that night?
4: Her conversation with me was that Alec wanted her to go to Moselle that day, and she was concerned about the workers that she had in Edisto, and she would have preferred to be in Edisto taking care of the final
3: but for Details. but for Mr. Randolph's condition,
4: she was she was concerned about the work being done and leaving the house open in Edisto.
3: She wasn't concerned about Mr. Randolph.
4: I mean, she was, I mean, but her concern, more concern, was that her house was open.
3: Okay. Now, um, I mean, she preferred to be at Edisto in the summertime, as opposed to Moselle at all. Correct.
4: That is correct.
3: Um, now, um, let me ask you: um, w- Did Swed ask you about the at any point about the clothes that uh alex was wearing on the 7th at some point did they ask you that
4: not until recent
3: recently right yes sir okay and um is it clear uh, to you i mean you've been asked recently to re- recollect something that happened in june of 21 um which is almost two years ago did they did they ask you other questions about what happened on June 7th when they asked you about the close?
4: They asked me where I was. Um, they asked me what I was doing. They asked me when I saw Alec leaving that day, my discussions with Maggie. They requested to see my phone, which I gave them um, so they could see the text messages, phone calls that we had had.
3: You and Maggie were very close. We were. You and Alec were close also, were you not?
4: Yes, sir.
3: Um, and did you feel like a member of the family?
4: Yes, sir.
3: Did you indicate that Maggie, one of the things Maggie told you was that she was not, after the boat case, she was not being treated very well by the people in Hampton, correct?
4: That is correct.
3: Um, they shunned her. They were rude to her, those kinds of things.
4: That is correct.
3: Did she also indicate to you that, that, that she was concerned about Paul because he'd received a bunch of threats? Jackson, you're talking overruled. Did she ever indicate to you she's concerned about Paul because Paul had received threats? Yes. Okay. That same morning of the 8th, did you clean the gun room?
4: I didn't go in the in the gun room. I went, I went in there, but I didn't do anything in the gun room.
3: Didn't pick anything up? No, sir. Okay. And when you went into the kitchen that morning, was there anything that would indicate to you that other people had been there the night before, like glasses or bottles of water or anything?
4: No, sir.
0: Thank you. With that, Dick Harpootlian concludes his cross-examination of Ms. Simpson. Prosecutor John Matters then begins his redirect of the witness.
2: Mr. Harpootlian asked you about the um, clothes in the closet on June 8, 2021. You remember? Yes. And he asked you if there were, could have been another shirt in the room?
4: Yes, sir.
2: And was your response maybe maybe a t-shirt? Yes, sir. Okay, did you see another dress shirt
4: there?
2: No, sir. And while we're getting to that, did you work at Almeida?
4: No, sir.
2: Did you ever go there?
4: No, I have been there on one occasion previously, and I don't remember what I had to drop off.
2: Well, that blue um, poncho rain jacket Mr. Arpuglia showed you, that was at Almeida, wasn't it? Or do you know?
4: I don't know where that came from.
2: But you never saw that at Moselle, right?
4: That is correct.
2: Okay.
0: John Metters points to a monitor positioned in front of Ms. Simpson. The monitor displays a picture of a shirt.
2: And states 306, have you ever seen that shirt again since you went back the 8th, the 9th, until today? Have you ever seen that shirt again?
4: No, it once i um moved all a lot of the belongings to the little house um he had packed some of the clothes up but over the weekends and stuff when they were going from place to place they, i noticed that he was purchasing different clothing items shorts shirts so there was a couple of new ones in there which um still was not that shirt it was a lot of some of the newer ones
2: It was purchasing purchase purchasing a lot of shorts and shirts? Alec. After this event, after, after the murder? Yes, sir,
4: on the weekends when, when they were gone with the family, um, if he was going different places, he would come back like that Monday or Tuesday and there was like new items within the clothes.
2: New shirts? New shirts. New shorts? Yes. You know what kind?
4: Vineyard vines.
2: They were vines, mini vines? Yes, sir. After the murders?
4: Yes, sir, they were like polo type vineyard vines.
2: And what shirt had he suggested to you he was wearing in August on this day? What shirt had he had suggested to you he was wearing?
4: Vineyard Vines. Vinny Vines is what you
0: John Metters holds up another photograph from Ms. Simpson to review. In state
2: seven, said so you recognize these shorts and shirts? Yes, sir. Where was this shirt kept on States one hundred seven in, in Mosaic? In
4: the in the closet if there was no room in that drawer. On the shelves? Yes, they're on the
2: shelf. And looking at 306, is that outfit different from this outfit? Yes, sir, it is. And I think it's Star Poodleian, yeah. showed it at 107. Whose idea was it for Maggie Murdaugh to come to Mazel on the evening of June 7th?
0: Deckard Poodleian stands and raises an objection.
1: They can testify if you know. Here, you
2: don't
1: hear that. Testify if you know.
4: Maggie texted me that Alec wanted her to come to
2: Moselle. And is that on 107 that Mr. Harpootlian just put in? Yes, sir, did. That's all, thank you.
0: John Metters concludes his redirect, and Dick Harpootlian again rises for a brief recross of the witness.
3: After Maggie's death and Paul's death, did you notice he was losing weight?
4: Yes, sir, he was.
0: Dramatic
3: loss of weight, right? Yes. Sir. So the clothes, he, I mean, we can see him in that picture. He's a fat as a long word. But overweight kind of guy, big guy, fleshy-looking guy, right there, okay? Now, the, um, so he needed to buy new clothes because the other clothes were falling off of him, right?
4: I, I assume so, yes, sir.
3: So it wouldn't be unusual for him to need to buy new clothes because he's losing weight?
4: I guess. Okay.
0: Dick Harpootlian motions to the photo already displayed on the monitor in front of Ms. Simpson.
3: Now, this is um, 306. This is the picture, um, and you say this is a shirt, like a Columbia shirt, right? Yes, sir. Now, a Columbia shirt, don't they have a logo that says Columbia?
4: Yes, sir. Either see. on the sleeve or... See what on here? I don't, I don't see anything on the shirt. I'm To style a shirt is a Columbia-style shirt.
3: That, that's not a... You're you're not saying it was a brand-name Columbia shirt. You're saying it was a Columbia-style shirt? Yes, sir. Okay. And um, your testimony, again, is this is not the shirt he walked out with that morning?
4: He did not walk out with that shirt that morning.
3: But those could be the khakis he walked out with that
4: morning? Possibly, yes.
3: And when you say you never saw that shirt again, you did see those khakis again, did you not?
4: Yes, sir. I watched those khakis. They were in the... Bathroom. I'm assuming it was the same pair because he only had a few that he wore.
3: Right. Okay. And um in addition, your testimony would be, well, I guess you're saying that morning he didn't have that shirt on, but he had those pants on.
4: Couldn't possibly have those pants. He had several.
3: Okay. Um and would you scroll down to the footwear, please? Okay. Those are loafers, right? Yes, sir. And what do they seem to be made out of?
4: Like soft leather?
3: So uh, your testimony is that he, those were shoes he only wore around the house. He had, like, house slippers.
4: Usually when Alec would go outside, he had them Georgia boots that he would wear or the duck boots, and those would be left by the front door when I would walk through the door in the next morning.
3: In June, it was pretty hot down there in Moselle.
4: Yes, sir, but those were his go-to shoes when he would go um, outside or mess around, like he said, with Paul that day.
3: What kind of shoes was he wearing when he went to work that day?
4: The dress shoes, a pair of um, brown leather.
3: Now, when were you first asked about what he was wearing that day?
4: Um, a couple, maybe a couple of days when they interviewed me.
3: When they interviewed you the first time? Yes, sir. They asked you what he was piano.
4: Yes, sir.
0: With that exchange, Blanca Simpson is released as a witness. Judge Newman calls for a lunch break, and we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we review the testimony of Belinda Rast, a private home healthcare provider who worked with Alex Murdoch's mother, Libby. We also begin our look at the testimony of FBI Special Agent Matthew Wild. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And, if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at CrimeStory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie and Tholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.